This is the intro song for the Never Daily podcast that we do called The Hugs Podcast. Let's start by taking a deep breath of something, preferably air. And as the emotional, pensive guitar music comes in, let all of your worries go. Take another deep breath and prepare yourself for this episode. It might suck. Or... It might free your earballs to soar with the beagles. This is the Hugs Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Hugs Podcast, where we bring stories that we think are cool to your earballs. Fingers crossed that you're going to like them. Kent, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think people are going to like your story today? Four? Yeah, I'm on a four or five. Um, Ideally, ten. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. I'm a four. I think that's what I was supposed to say. Yeah, I'm a four or five, probably a ten, though. That's that's what any other show does, right? You got to really like amp up what you're getting ready to bring, and then yeah, and then under deliver. But I prefer to under deliver over under estimate, oh, under promote over deliver. Yes, that's what, that's what we what do like. here. That is when we actually deliver. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we don't even deliver, so that's fun too. All right. Well, um, you know what? On so many of our shows, we jibber-jabber forever. And you know what? We're going to set a new trend on this one and not do that. Um, I have an exciting story, but I'd like to welcome everyone to Kent Chungus's story time. And Kent, I'm going to turn the time over to you. Please start with a prayer. And um, Okay, look, up. I know that Whenever you made hugs, right, your your goal here was to have one story and it it's supposed to end with like a like a thing where you wanna you wanna hug your children and Jack misread that in initially. You wanna hug your children because of how sad you are or <laughs> horrified you are and you're glad that they're safe yes. and in your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Jack misread the hugs part, like why you wanna give the hugs. This isn't just like one story. This is a bunch of little stories. And I'm going to front load this with some bad stuff. But we're going to close out on a happy note. Is that okay? A hundred percent. I would also agree that I think Jack misread it. I think also some of the stories he brought were about people hugging other children that weren't theirs. and Yeah, without their pants on. Yeah, he didn't really... I, yeah, there was a there was mixed mixed communication. Apparently, I felt like it was very clear, <laughs> but you know, to each his own. Let's just say that Jack did the best version of something positive that Jack could do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now he's moved on <laughs> to do that best version somewhere else. 
You can't ask Stephen King to to write a Clifford the Big Red Dog book without Clifford being run over at some point. By well, I don't even know what you would use to run over Clifford a semi trailer, and then he gets brought back to the dead, only to maul his family. Uh, he can't help it. Stephen King translates the dog is red for a totally different reason than every and then other. He, and then it's because and then he does he genuinely doesn't get it. He's like I didn't understand the dog was just red, like that was just the color of his hair. Yeah, his dog starts white and ends red. That's how that story goes. No, yes, bless his heart. And you know what? And uh, he's that- big because of the bloating. <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, I'm excited. You know, and I, I will say just, the, you know, the, the whole point of this podcast was just to bring something a bit different than the true crimey kind of trope that, that seems to be the basis for even a lot of our shows. It, you know, and if, if there's tragedy or sadness that's involved in them, oh, I'll say it. Mine has that today. But, it, but it's cool. It's cool. That's the thing is, I guess, just cool stories, you know? Well, you know, my story kind of centers. So it's it's a well-known fact that I'm a, I'm a cinephile. I love movies. Oh, I thought that meant you sin a lot. I love watching movies and having movies happen to me mm. through a TV and, and, and all that stuff. So my tale here revolves around celebrity and the two different types of celebrity that we seem to get. Now, so we all know Ellen DeGeneres by now. It's been it's come out that Ellen DeGeneres, to the surprise of maybe some people listening to this, is a total piece of swearing. Shit. Oh, <laughs> you know, despite her like doing the robot and Cupid shuffling across stage to Holland Oats or whatever, and down down do you dance and smiling and laughing at everybody and giving away free. Fuck swear and Taco Bell or whatever, whatever they're giving away. That that's it's all it's all a facade. It's all fake. Ellen DeGeneres is a piece of shit. Some more swears. Yet. And this has just recently came out in the last probably two years. I think it really started coming out during COVID. But apparently, according to so many of her staff, Ellen DeGeneres is an absolute nightmare to work for. None of her staff were allowed to look in her eyes or speak to her. So it's it was like working with a, a rabid dog or maybe a T-Rex. <laughs> you know, like if she comes around, you're not supposed to move. She can see you if you if you move. She has T-Rex eyes. Very Stephen King-like working for yes. her. Yeah. Okay. She also, at one point during the uh, pandemic, compared having to self-oscillate in her massive L.A. mansion to being in prison. Oh, <laughs> And that's one thing, you know, I worked in corrections that the the inmates at the jail that I worked for constantly complained about was the tennis courts getting leaves on them <laughs> and Netflix. I've already seen everything on Netflix. The pH balance in the pool or hot tub. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, give me a little shiver. My nipples are hard. <laughs> like that kind of thing. So we all know that Ellen DeGeneres having to self-isolate in her massive mansion with all of her maids and personal chefs catering to her that she treats like Swear. shit, by the way. Definitely like being in prison. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, she's doing some hard time there. An apt comparison, Ellen. Yes. Did you know, Op, that Ellen, at the Ellen DeGeneres show, she kept a bowl of spearmint gum 
outside of her office door. And before anybody was allowed to come in and speak to her, they had to chew a piece of the gum before coming in because she had a, quote, sensitive nose. No way. Really? Oh, she doesn't want your breath to offend her. You don't, you don't rate, you piece of shit. How much swearing? Shit. Wow. You don't, you don't talk to her Ellen DeGeneres nose. <laughs> I didn't know By that. the way, Ellen didn't have to chew the gum. It's her Ellen DeGeneres breath. You should be honored, even if her breath stinks, that you get to soak in her Ellen DeGeneres breath. <laughs> she's, a, she's gifting you with that, but she is way too good to smell your breath. <laughs> even if it smells good. Everybody had to chew the gum, regardless of how of their dental hygiene. It's sort of like how the um, Rosie O'Donnell whole thing went. She was koosh balls into the audience and total happy and just this amazing lady. And then come to find out she's just completely the opposite in real life or maybe degraded to that. Like, I wonder if Ellen was always like that or if she became that. That's a good question. This goes back years. Mm. Uh, many celebrities have since came out and said, like, this is like a well-known thing in Hollywood that Ellen DeGeneres is a horrible person. Goes back all the way to the 90s when she first started. She's always treated anybody from the Hollywood, like, hierarchy point of view, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody that's below her, they're dirt to her. So you, me, any of our listeners... She, you don't mean anything to her. Wow, you you are dirt. Um, unless you're a celebrity, you've got an Emmy. You know, maybe you're Tom Hanks. Then you you rate any kind of respect as a human being, as far as Ellen DeGeneres is 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 concerned. Uh, another thing that she that she made her staff do if they came in and she doesn't like the way they smelled, this was pretty common. She would make them go home and shower and try again. Now we're not talking about an offensive body odor. We're like their perfume. Um, anything like that, you will go home and you will take a shower because Ellen demands it. Wow, that's amazing. You know how long I would work for that person? Like eight minutes. Oh, before I had to say something? Yeah, absolutely. It would be eight minutes before there was a headline that says, man gruffly just walks right over boss <laughs> to get out of her presence. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I'm not a terrible person. I would never like hit her, but I would, like, use my size to, like, move past her in a gruff way and show her. I would, I would be frozen still because then she can't see you. <laughs> yeah. She's she could like predator. She could smell your spearmint breath, though, so, you know, she'd know where you're at. She starts walking past you, and she stops in that minute in, like, a horror movie, and she starts smelling the air. She's like... <laughs> And you're like, oh, God, a bead of sweat starts <laughs> trying to hold your breath. Goddamn spearmint chewing gum. Oh, wow. So another kind of notorious douchebag in the entertainment industry that, that has this Ellen DeGeneres persona is James Corden. Right. Do you know who James Corden is? He's that douchebag with the friendly public persona that's famous for like singing inner Sandman with Adele in a car or whatever. Yeah. He's the British speaking potato. Yes. Yeah. So James Corden is basically a male version of Ellen DeGeneres. Really? That's, that's, that's all he is. Yeah, he treats fans that approach him like total shit. Swear. Yeah, there's a million different examples of this that you can find on the internet. He's also apparently a nightmare to work for. Uh, Reddit actually once did an Ask Me Anything with James Corden and some of his staff. And the entire thing turned into a dog pile of people just saying horrible experiences that they've had with James Corden, they actually ended up having to shut down the Ask, Ask Me Anything. That, to me, is a sign that you have lost touch with reality is when you don't 
even see it coming that the multitudes of people that hate working with you or for you or anything that that you don't think that this could ever come back to circle back on you in a negative way. I think that's a major indicator that you've lost touch. The level of entitlement there. Mm-hmm. Look, and look, man, much like Ellen, if I talked about every bad experience that somebody has had with James Corden, we would be here all day. <laughs> there, this could just be a podcast. Wow. That, that could be a podcast. Look it up. The dude is, without a doubt, one of the biggest entitled twat waffles in the history of entertainment. <laughs> now, I myself... I've had some really horrible experiences with celebrities. Polly Shore had bad experiences with him on multiple occasions. Lori Petty, who broke my heart because she was Tank Girl, and I loved that movie so much. Uh, she was also in uh, Orange is the New Black. John Bernthal. I had a bad experience with John Bernthal, who was Shane in The Walking Dead. And But that being said, the last person that I'm going to bring up here that that is also somewhat protected for some reason, and I don't understand why. Because, unfortunately, everything that she claims to stand for seems to be a, a huge steaming pile of fake horse Swear? shit. And, of course, I'm talking about Oprah Winfrey. <gasps> Everybody gasps. <gasps> no. You're not allowed to talk about Oprah Winfrey. Why? Why can't we? Now, I, like I said, I know you're not allowed to dislike the Queen Bee. Uh, I don't understand why. Uh, she's protected from any kind of criticism whatsoever. But if you look into her for more than two seconds, you can see she is also an extremely entitled, self-righteous old ball sack. <laughs> do I censor ball sack? Do I swear that out? I don't know. I'll have to see what my heart feels about that later in the edit. Look, man, anytime that Oprah Winfrey has been spotted out in the wild without a camera on her when she thinks she's not being watched or recorded right, the real person comes out. She is notorious for completely ignoring people in the service industry uh, when they ask her questions. She has somebody speak for her. So much like Ellen, like Normal people don't rate to interrupt Oprah Winfrey's rich ears, right? Mm. I don't even know that she could speak their language (laughs) because she speaks rich people people language. They're not even the same. She was huge buddies with Harvey Weinstein. They were like huge friends. So she knew without a doubt what was going on. The stuff with Harvey Weinstein, by the way, to the surprise of maybe nobody, was pretty well known in Hollywood long before he ever got outed. Well, yeah, because there's Harvey Weinstein on this one level, all of his friends, like the Oprahs and everything, on that level, and then you know how the industry works. So there's this whole swath of up-and-comers who pass through Harvey Weinstein to become successful. And if you're friends with Harvey, you know how this is going because I can only imagine like if I had to if I had to become a success because of Harvey Weinstein and he did the things that he's apparently supposedly done to people, you would go if you had a connection with like an Oprah after having that kind of experience, you would go to an Oprah and be like, "Um, so can I talk to you?" You got to know that Oprah had those kinds of interactions with people and she probably said, "Huh, oh, that's just Harvey." Harvey Weinstein wasn't a problem for anybody. And then all this Me Too stuff coming like you see all the celebrities hashtag Me Too, you know. Only after it became public knowledge, right? Yeah. They're all buddies with him until it comes out and they're like, oh, we didn't know. You didn't know. Now you have a problem. Now you're joining the bandwagon with whatever the killed a fly. Uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever the thing is that's cool, that makes you look, you know, righteous. What makes you look woke at the time? Oprah's basically just a female version of Joel Osteen. <laughs> that's, yeah. She's got her church, her church of jackasses. 
that war that believe that everything she says is the word, and they buy all her sh- swear words. Yeah, and she just preys on these fuck- so much swearing. fucking idiots. Uh, and another thing, let's talk about the Oprah Picks books. You ever see those stickers at Walmart or bookstores, Barnes and Nobles? This is an Oprah put Oprah Picks book. Oh, it's sort of like maybe like a good housekeeping seal of approval kind of thing. It's like Oprah likes this book. Okay. (laughs) My face is getting hot. (laughs) Like she's not a a, a famed writer who knows how to weave an intriguing story. Yeah. It's not like Stephen King writing the prologue to a book or something. You know, it's not like that kind of seal of approval. We know that Oprah's likes is a, Another department of the Oprah Winfrey empire. Yeah, she's never even, she doesn't even know this book exists. There's 32 people between that <laughs> that approval and Oprah. Plus, Oprah's not going to read anything that doesn't have Oprah in it. Because <laughs> nobody is a bigger fan of Oprah than Oprah. She puts herself on the cover of her own magazine every single fucking month. Like, <laughs> the only person that deserves to be on her magazine is her. Oprah's her biggest fan. And so on one occasion, she was approached by a child wanting an autograph. Uh, she was sitting like halfway inside her limo with the door open. The child came up. She pushed the kid out of the way without even acknowledging the child as a person and then slammed the door in her face. Um, and this was all she thought nobody was watching, but there were several people watching from a uh, higher level uh, of the building that the car was parked in front of. And it was well noted on the Internet for a while. Oof. Yikes. Now, much like Ellen DeGeneres and James Corden, she is well known for treating her staff like sh- swearing. Shit. Um, this is pretty well known. Anyways, this story that I'm talking about, you know, I, I said I had some bad experiences with, with some celebrities. I've also had awesome experiences. I had great experiences with Theo Vaughn. Uh, Theo Vaughn was awesome. Nev Campbell, I've had good experience after good experience. I can't say enough good things about Nev Campbell. Kiefer Sutherland was a sweetheart. Now, and you may argue, well, Ken, you know, if you look deep enough, you can probably find bad stories about anybody in the entertainment industry. But try and do that with who this story today I'm talking about. Try to do that with Keanu Reeves. Try to find a bad story about Keanu Reeves. Mm, I don't think you can. Because in an industry uh, chalked to the gill with fake, pretentious, entitled, self-righteous pricks, there do seem to be a few that stand out as genuine human down-to-earth people, and Keanu Reeves is the shining light example of this. First off, Keanu has on many occasions up gave up a lot of his salary for the movies that he's made so that they can give more money to the effects departments, other actors, cameramen, staff, etc. He even bought the entire stunt team behind the Matrix movies, their own Harley Davidsons, as a gift out of his own pocket. On one occasion, and this is one of my favorite Keanu Reeves stories, there was a 16-year-old theater worker standing at the cashier late one night, right? He's just hanging out, and a man comes in through the door wearing all leather and and jeans. He's by himself. It's late at night. He orders one ticket to see the movie From Hell with, ironically, Johnny Depp, who is right now on trial with Amber Heard. So this young kid, 16-year-old, this man comes in, asks for one ticket to see From Hell. He's by himself. He realizes it's Keanu Reeves who was completely alone, just coming in to see a movie. Whenever the 16-year-old realizes it's Keanu Reeves, he offers to give him an employee discount. Uh, And he says, all you got to do to get this discount is sign a sheet. You just got to sign right here. But Reeves, not realizing what's happening, what this kid is trying to do is get his autograph, right? But Reeves says, quote, "Uh, I don't work here. 
And then he just paid full price for the ticket. <laughs> and he bought his ticket. Keanu Reeves bought his ticket and walked away. Fast forward like five, ten minutes. Uh, I guess Keanu had went inside the theater, sat down. He's like just hanging out. Uh, but he said the worker said that a few moments later he gets a tap on the back. And he turns around and Keanu Reeves is standing there. And he hands him a receipt. And Keanu says, I realized while I was sitting there that I think you were just trying to get my autograph. <laughs> he smiled. He was holding the ice cream that hadn't been touched, right? He throws the ice cream in the trash and then goes back into the theater. The kid flips the receipt over it. It was a receipt for an ice cream. He hadn't had anything to write on. <laughs> so he bought an ice cream <laughs> and then signed it and gave it to the kid. <laughs> That's awesome. That guy's a nice guy. I like that. Just a, a genuine person. A lot of these entitled self-righteous in Hollywood come from entitled backgrounds, connections to Hollywood. It wasn't like their talent got them there. Their mom and dad were millionaires, producers, whatever. For Keanu Reeves, his father left when he was three years old, so he was raised by a single mother. He ended up having to drop out of high school because of dyslexia. His best friend died when he was 23 years old. Not long after that, him and his girlfriend that he loved very much had a stillborn child. And then not long after the stillborn child came, his girlfriend was killed in a car crash. Oh, jeez. His sister was sick with leukemia for about 10 years where he took care of her and stayed by her side. Wow. He also donated 70% from the Matrix movies to random charities without putting his name attached to them. He has also for years been secretly donating millions of dollars to children's hospitals for years. And all of this, like I said, was a secret. He never had his name attached to any of it. As a matter of fact, a whistleblower dropped this information. And I don't know if it's still called a whistleblower if it's good news. I, I think that's also interesting that, um, you know, somebody who's trying to do good and stay out of the limelight, that these stories do surface that, that you know, and attaches their them to these, these experiences. And, and it feels better, you know. I mean, it's one thing to know that these things are happening secretly and quietly. But I think it's good for society to actually know, even though they didn't intend for it to get out. Yeah, I do, too. That's cool. You know, man, celebrities are mostly being seen as aggressive and mean to paparazzi. And I get that. I would be, too, taking pictures. You're just trying to buy a double cheeseburger or look at a hat, a hot topic. <laughs> like, I, I understand that. Paparazzi are parasites, right? I think we can all agree on that. Whenever I see... Jack Nicholson take a swing on a paparazzi. I don't think, oh, Jack Nicholson's such a piece of Swear. shit. I hope that that punch is going to land yeah, me on too. the guy with the camera. Me too. Because these celebrities are still people after all, and just let them go about their lives. But not Keanu Reeves. You're not going to see Keanu Reeves swinging on a paparazzi or cussing him out. He is famous for inviting them to sit down with him and, and eat. He'll even buy him lunch. There's been times when he's sitting on a bench waiting for a bus. That's right. I said Keanu Reeves still occasionally rides a bus, and he'll invite them to sit next to him on the bench and just have a conversation with him. And that's the way conversations with Keanu Reeves go, too. Keanu Reeves doesn't want to talk about Keanu Reeves. He wants to hear about your life. He wants to talk about you know what makes you happy. What are your goals? What's your family like? That's another thing that constantly comes up if you talk about Keanu Reeves and conversations with him. And, you know, talking about there being stories of Ellen Jenner as being a piece of human waste that go back to the 90s. There are pictures of young Keanu Reeves. He's, he looks to be about 26 years old in the picture, sitting on the ground next to a homeless man, just having a conversation, treating him like a human being as he should be treated. He's been doing this stuff for years. He's sitting up against the wall with this homeless man, uh, they didn't even look like they're sharing a meal. 
and spoken with him while they enjoyed their meal together. So he's been doing this stuff for years. Like I said, this isn't a publicity stunt. He never posts about it on social media because he doesn't have social media of any kind. When asked why he doesn't have any social media, he says, I don't really have anything to say about anything. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) There's no ego there. There's no ego whatsoever. Even though he's like an A-list celebrity, he thinks his opinion holds no weight about what, which is so much different than what we typically see Cardi B tweeting about global warming, <laughs> like Miley Cyrus talking about plate tectonics. <laughs> uh, and, and another fun Keanu Reeves story, uh, and the last one that, that I'll leave you with here is one time a young lady was broke down on the side of the interstate. She was in an old job. She was a college girl, very attractive young college girl, broke down in her old jalopy, and a shiny new black Porsche pulled in behind her. And out jumped, you guessed it, uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, He tried to help her jumpstart it with his Porsche and her little Honda Accord. Uh, It didn't work. He then drove her 50 miles out of his way. The young lady would later say that she so badly wanted Keanu Reeves to hit on her. (laughs) But he never even remotely did once. She said he was a, a complete gentleman the entire ride. He dropped her off at her house and then just disappeared into the darkness. Even in my own weak brain, there are so many things just because of the way I'm wired in business or whatever, where I I do think about like, oh, with the kind of listenership we have, you know, we could, I mean, the show is based on the fact that I'm hoping that we can get ads. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's a joke, (laughs) but at the same time, there's some, some credibility to it, you know, and. So it's interesting because I think humans we kind of lean that way. We're like, oh, what could my, what could my status get me, you know? And I, uh, some people may get drunk on that, but it's just cool to see somebody who doesn't need that, doesn't need it at all. Yeah. Now, like I said, there are tons of story like this. There are tons of stories like this for for Mr. Reeves. For every bad story that you're going to read about Ellen or James Corden or Oprah Winfrey, there are two good stories about Keanu Reeves. And Op, I guess what I'm saying at the end of the day is, and I'm going to use the words of uh, Theodore Logan. You know who Theodore Logan is? No. Oh, well, he usually goes by the name of Ted. He's a popular character from the movie Bill and Ted. And Ted was played by Keanu Reeves, ironically. And as Theodore Logan says, his catchphrase you put your hand out and you say, be most excellent to each other. Mm. It's true. You want to know a, a really underrated Keanu Reeves movie that I don't think enough people saw? And I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was, I remember watching it when it came out and it absolutely blew my skull back. A Scanner Darkly? Scanner Darkly. Yeah. That is the name of the movie. Yeah. My God, that is such a good movie. As soon as you said animation, I was like, oh, I know what he's talking about. And the way they did that animation was they filmed the movie the Mm -hmm. way you would normally film a movie, and then they converted all of it to animation. They hand-drew all of the characters, Robert Downey Jr.'s in it, Mm -hmm. into animation. It's so wild-looking and almost distracting when you first start watching the movie. Uh, But it's beautiful. That technique is called rotoscoping. I had to learn that technique in computer animation school in the late 1900s, early 2000s. So that's a good movie. Yeah. And I, I highly recommend A Scanner Darkly. Great movie. But yeah. Well, that's cool. I, lo- I just love Keanu Reeves, man. Yeah. I think we, we get caught up on who sucks a lot. 
you know, and, and, and it, even I did in the beginning of this. Well, and it's like a scratch we can't itch, you know, or an itch we can't scratch. There's so much of it. And it's weird because it breeds inside of us an emotion like a bad emotion. Like when I hear terrible, you know, people, celebrities especially, or politicians that are terrible, I get a oh, feeling. All politicians are terrible. <laughs> Did you just mean politicians? Yeah, I should have just left it at politicians. And I'm talking Democrat, Republican, all of them suck and they don't care they don't care about you. But do you ever feel this way? And it's shameful to say this, but I think so many people when they when they hear bad stories about these people, we get a feeling like I wish they would just be crushed by a car or, you know, our feelings about them go so dark and deep. Like so many people are like, why can't they just go to prison? And you think about the intensity of those kinds of feelings and it's very barbaric the way that the media or these stories make us feel. But when you give a moment to a good story, an uplifting one, where you learn something new about a character like Keanu or someone like that, it stays with you longer. Sometimes you don't feel hungry for good, you know? Sometimes it's not just like on the menu. You want to open your news and look at all the headlines that make you itch that scratch or scratch that itch. But it seems like the good stories lift us up and they they stay with us longer. I, I think that I, I do actually get the scratch, the the need to to see human beings um, treating each other well, and that's the reason I watched. Have you ever seen that? What would you do? Yeah, uh, yeah, on YouTube where they put people in situations and you see good people step forward and intervene, whether it be because somebody's being racist or somebody's you know mistreating somebody or or whatever, and it always like fills my heart full of joy to see good people still exist and they will intervene when they see some somebody being mistreated or being done wrong. I probably watch more of stuff like what would you do than I do the negative stuff. I have become so I think jaded maybe. I've been become so tired of hearing everybody in media blaming somebody else. And the hope that I feel inside of me as I walk away from each of those stories is I hope they get theirs, you know, that I am. I'm I'm drawn now. I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to create this was just, I don't know. I don't know if there will be 10 people that really tune into this on the reg, but I'm hoping so. I subscribe to Instagram channels that lift me up. Like, I love the military homecoming kind of things and yeah, just things that make my heart feel good. And uh, there's not enough of that out there. Or the stories are there. We're just not sharing them enough, I think. Just be good to each other. Yeah, I like that. Be good to each other. All right. Well, let me tell you my story. <clears throat> this one's interesting. Okay. I, that's part of the reason I, I hope picked so, it. Because you're recording it. Because <laughs> we're putting it on. That's the point of doing a podcast. <laughs> Oof, the pressure. All right, here we go. The room was quiet. The crowd, which had been talking hushed, murmuring tones like conversations through a pillow, nobody using their vocal cords, just letting the wind from their lungs pass through their mouths as they voiced each word, all tentative and nervous. Michael made his way through the crowd and the crowd gingerly parted as to not make contact with his precious cargo. Michael briskly, carefully carried Annie in his arms and placed her on the floor. 
No signs of life were visible to the naked eye. He drew his breath, looked into her face, and in a voice that startled the others in the room, shouted, Annie! Annie, as many people knew her, had a beauty that drew in an entire nation. In the late 1800s, images of Annie's subtle, almost Mona Lisa-like smile permeated Germany. Her short blonde hair parted down the middle, making a window on her forehead, exposing her face, and resting on the sides of her head, almost as if wet, caused more than an estimated million teenage girls to alter their appearances to look more like her. Her black shirt with a subtle neckline influenced fashion. And for a time, black shirts fitting for a teen's frame were in scarce supply in cities across Germany. The image of Annie, her eyes closed, her serene face, her striking beauty punctuated by no flair or ostentatious jewelry, pierced the hearts of people across Europe. For Annie was a completely unknown person until one day her body was extracted from the River Seine at the Croix de Louvre in Paris, France in the late 1880s. Her body, according to the coroner there in Paris, showed no signs of physical harm, so suicide was determined to be the cause of death. Her features, unlike many drowning victims, remained intact, possibly indicating that she hadn't been in the water all too long before the discovery of her body. In fact, her appearance was so peacefully serene that a pathologist at the morgue was so taken by her beauty that he was compelled to make a wax-plastered death mask of her face. He couldn't help but share the results of the death mask with others, and they, too, were stricken by her beauty, many requesting their own copies of the plaster cast, which was born from the wax mold made of her face. Though morbid as it seems, plaster copies of her face became a fixture in bohemian society throughout Paris and Europe over the following years, although Annie was the name that she has been associated with today. Back then, she was simply known as the unknown woman of the sin, and her likeness became a fixture on the walls and curio cabinets throughout Europe, well into the 20th century. Over the decades since, her visage has inspired mentions in over 30 books written by great authors around the world, A ballet was created that was based on the mysteriously fluid story of Annie and garnered large audiences when it came to the American Ballet Theater in 1965. Truly, the impact of this silent, unknown girl has had on the world still reverberates even until today. And so it continued. In 1958, Michael lay over her face, or another replica of her face, now attached to a replica of what was possibly a body similar to hers. And as the crowd looked on, as Michael lay over what would become an internationally used replica once again, this time a life-saving replica, a replica of Annie, or Resusa Annie, as she would forever be known, Michael stared into the face of the first CPR training dummy, and exclaimed into a face 
that had pierced through generations and taken the breath away of the multitudes who have stared into her pure looks. Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Words which pair so well with the indelible view of a girl whose unknown story floats in our minds, these words, too, have left a haunting and indelible mark on generations of earballs. And that's it. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Because we just went on a wild ride. <laughs> For a moment, I thought this was going to turn into like a Carl Tanzler kind of story. <laughs> they dug this girl. She's so beautiful. This guy's going to sew her back together. And right. <laughs> put a toilet paper tube up. But... um. <laughs> And then you started saying they made casts, and I thought, oh, what, what year was that? When In the 1880s, doing? they started doing so that. The, this is, oh, so this is going to turn into the story of how we got f- flesh lots. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was the, I thought this was the evolution of, but then it kept going. And then I thought, oh, no, this is a story about where the face, the generic face for, on CPR training dummies comes from. They're all, right. they're all based off of Annie. And then I realized, no, that's not the case either. I don't think this is where the, this was the inspiration for the Michael Jackson hit song, Annie, Are You Okay? Are You Okay? And, I, and I'll be honest, I still really don't know. It's <laughs> the answer to all those is yes, except for the flashlight thing. That's okay, not okay. part of this. But yeah, it's crazy. Like this, this simple, this pure, innocent, silent body that was pulled out of a river has influenced like so many genres and categories and one waterlogged corpse one lot waterlogged corpse <laughs> yeah just it's a it's crazy it's crazy that someone so just to be just to reiterate she was does her likeness show up on cpr training dummies now yes it does yeah yeah, and does, did that genuinely inspire the lyrics to the Michael Jackson hit song "Annie, Are You Okay? Are You Okay, Annie?" Yes. So if you heard those lyrics and instantly thought Alien Ant Farm, then I don't blame you. You also forgot about Michael Jackson. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm looking at the stuff. lyrics to "Annie, Are You Okay?" and I don't understand how this has to do with as he came into the window with this was the sound of a crescendo. He came into her apartment. He left the bloodstains on the carpet. She ran underneath the table. He could see she was unable. So she ran into the bedroom. She was struck down. It was her doom. This, I didn't even realize. You know, I've heard this song 20 million times. Didn't realize how stupid it was until <laughs> just now. <laughs> well, if you think about all of that as a CPR dummy, yeah, she's not able. Not able at all. She's. <laughs> wow. Crazy. You know, huh? I say this every time, Op. I think this was my favorite story that you brought. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm a little sad that you weren't doing the uh, the origin story of the flashlight. Yeah, I was really hoping that's where that was going because I was going to laugh really hard. But a CPR dummy. I am going to go out on a limb and say that confidently, since morgues have been in existence, there probably is an origin story to the product. For which you are talking, and it probably could be <laughs> connected to morgues. 
but in this case, no. <laughs> what a wild ride up. What a wild ride. That's a wild ride. Another another good couple stories. Oh, man. Well, if you like the stories here, share them with a friend. It's the only thing we can ask. It's the only way we can pay the bills. Be good to each other. Glad you're here again. Like, subscribe. All that bullshit. Swear. <laughs> Make sure you give us a one-star review, and we will catch you next time. Hugs, everybody. Bye.